I would hate for my patient to not have the right treatment because I felt guilty about recommending the right treatment. But if cost is the thing that's holding me back from recommending it and they don't get it and they get worse, all that patient's going to know is that they came to see Dr. Maharaj and I didn't make them better. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 2020 podcast, bringing clarity to business, entrepreneurship, and life. I am your host, Dr. Harbir Sayan. Thank you again for taking the time to join me here. Don't forget, before we jump in, don't forget to hit subscribe, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube. Leave a comment, let me know what you think. And at any point during this conversation, or every point during this conversation, that you hear something valuable, because there's going to be tons of value given the guests that I have. Um, make sure you take a screenshot and po post it up on Instagram and tag us both and let us know what it was that you found valuable, what you took away from the conversation. And my guest today is a returning guest, actually his third appearance on the podcast, which I was kind of, I, my mind was blown today when I was thinking about that. You're the first time, first person to come back for the third time, uh, is the medical director for iLabs Optometry and Center for Ocular Service Disease near Toronto, Ontario. He is also the co-founder of the Canadian Dry Eye Summit. He is none other than the Dry Eye Jedi himself, Dr. Richard Maharaj. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Dr. Maharaj. This episode of the 2020 podcast is brought to you by InMode. So we recently decided we wanted to elevate our dry eye in-office treatment options, and we brought in the InMode Forma radio frequency treatment system. The Forma uses bipolar technology, which allows for greater control over the depth to which the radio frequency waves penetrate beneath the skin. It is also the only device that has temperature monitoring and temperature cutoff built right into the device itself. The InMode system also allows the addition of the Lumeca IPL handle, which is something that we added as well if you really want to boost your dry eye game. And maybe best of all is that there's zero consumable cost with each use, zero consumables. The next exciting step is the Forma Eye handpiece, which still uses the Forma Bipolar technology, but has a much smaller front end of the handpiece, which allows for more accurate treatment on and around the eyelid area. Contact your local InMode rep to learn how you can take your dry eye practice to the next level. And now back to our interview with Dr. Richard Maharaj. Thank you very much, Harbir, for having me back. Look, three times, they say third time's a charm. <laughs> Well, actually, if you count the first IG live that failed, this is the fourth time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Third on the record, fourth in, in, in general. But no, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited. It's been a year. A lot's yeah. happened in a year. So uh, looking forward to it. That's right. That's right. So this is going to be, this is the, really the impetus for this is it's our one year anniversary episode. The first time we recorded an episode was just in the beginning of the pandemic, early days of the shutdown and quarantine period. And you had some incredible insights to share with us. Before we go into that, um, I do want, I want to give you a chance to do a real quick uh, intro for yourself, just in case I missed any important points there. Please uh, let us know a little bit about what, you, what you're up to these days. Yeah, for those of you that, that don't know me and that didn't listen to that first episode, I, uh, so I practice just outside of Toronto. As uh, Dr. Sian mentioned, I'm practicing at a medical optometry clinic, and my particular focus is on the ocular surface and dry eye disease. Uh, is sort of what I've been known for for the last decade or, 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 or just thereabouts. Um, and a lot of the work that I do in teaching uh, is, is focused on that as well. Um, some recent changes in the course of this last year, 
Uh, I've also joined a uh, artificial intelligence company as a new chief scientific officer, wow. uh, AI for eyes. That's really new uh, and it's still uh, in development, but that's probably uh, going to uh, set the stage for the next, uh, the next little while of my career. So a lot of new things, a lot of old things, but uh, pretty much the same old me. That's, that's exciting. The same old G. Um, was that, who's that genuine? I'm t- I'm yeah, isn't myself it? Too. I think so. uh, anyways, yeah, that's that's exciting. AI, definitely taking AI take- for eyes. Actually, it's a uh, the co-founder is uh, one of your colleagues out in the West Coast, Dr. Henry Reese. Yeah, I was going to ask you if it was a Henry's project, actually, because I know he'd yeah. been working on something like that. Very exciting stuff. Very, yeah. very cool. Amazing, amazing. Well, that obviously that's the future for most industries is some form of AI, and you know. AR, VR, I don't know, you know, all sorts of versions of that type of stuff. So pretty cool that you're into that. I'd love to hear more about that at some point in the future when, um, when you're able to share it and when there's, you know, more exciting things to share about that. Mm-hmm. So it's been a year and there were some pretty amazing insights that you had shared with us um, on that initial IG live that we did April. Uh, I think it's almost to the day. It's been a year now. Um, April, whatever it was last year, 2020. Um, a lot of that conversation was around what we were going through um, emotionally, you know, psychologically. Um, there's actually a term that you use, I, I believe that you, you'd read or heard somewhere, it was the great pause. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely felt that it, it was that the world kind of stood still there for a little bit. But that pause, people went a lot of different directions because of it, right? Um, I wanted to, if you could give us a little recap, because one of the things that was you were talking about was, you know, as optometrists, maybe as other medical professionals, we tie our feeling of success or self-worth to productivity. And if we're not at work, you know, which we weren't at that time, it was going to cause us some grief was the word that you use. I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of a recap and then maybe bring us to now and how you think things have come from there. Sure. Yeah, no, we, we had talked, it was a wonderful conversation and thanks for this question. Um, so we, we, we really discussed, you know, at that particular time when the, when the shutdown just happened, I think a lot of us, um, you know, and I speak specifically to optometry, but I think in, 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 if I look at other disciplines and some of the people that I know, and I'm sure you did as well, that stop, that pause that we were forced to have, you know, it was probably the first time, certainly the first time in my life that anything like that has happened. And, you know, for, for people that are, are sort of, you know, we're constantly on the hustle. We're constantly trying to get something done and, and, and do work before work is due and get ahead of things. And our minds are constantly in motion. And that pause really kind of, you know, either cause you to pivot towards pausing or pivot towards the grief of losing our productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that loss of productivity and it was actually really interesting when we did that, that IG live, because I had asked you, you know, how do you define success for yourself? Right. I think I asked you that and I asked the mm-hmm. audience, there's a bunch of different questions and a lot of people kind of gave an immediate response like, oh, well, I define success as happiness and uh, my family, very, um, you know, virtuous answers. I'm not suggesting that they were, they were false answers, <laughs> but they were very quick answers. Yeah. But you took some time and you thought about it and you came back with this, this really, really thoughtful question. And, and I hope that a year later, we've all kind of thought about what really is success and what does it mean? Um, 
But during that time when we lost our ability to be productive, we almost lost a part of ourselves, or at least temporarily. And we go through these sort of stages of, of loss, stages of grief, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has the, the five stages of grief, right? There's denial, anger, bargaining, um, depression, and then acceptance, I think it is. And, um, you know, we, we kind of went through those, those stages. And then in Ontario, at least, you know, June, we, we were able to reopen, modified, of course. And suddenly we were thrust right back into productivity, but it was really scrambled. It was very mm. disjointed and, and carried its own stresses of the unknown. So throughout the course of the year, we've been kind of dealing with this sort of modified productivity, right? Where we've had to, you know, put up PPE and, and uh, maybe you've invested more in telemedicine and, and have more of those patients coming through um, depending on where you are regionally, you know, in the last, three months, we've started to now talk about getting vaccinated. We're now dealing with whether our staff are going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's all these new challenges. It's almost like every day has been a new challenge. And uh, I think, and, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think that, you know, there was sort of a, a fork in the road in April where those of us, those, those that felt, you know, not sort of defined and tied to their productivity, were somewhat free to actually enjoy the opportunity that that pause gave us. Mm -hmm. And those of us that perhaps maybe more tied closely to productivity might've spiraled a little bit more. And I've been talking a lot in the last year about our mental health and how, how has this affected our mental health? I think that's a really big question and I don't hear it enough, um, you know, amongst our colleagues. I think some of us are having these conversations but uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, you know, how to have this conversation about mental health mm -hmm. in optometry more. Yeah, that's definitely a conversation that needs to be had a lot more often. Um, it's a it's it's always been a difficult topic of conversation for anybody. Um, and that's something that uh, something that, you know, uh, you you probably heard or you will hear uh, about something that I'm working on called, uh, called the Lensbox Foundation. And that's definitely one of our our mandate is to really bring awareness to that topic and, and provide resources to our colleagues uh, because it is so important. And, you know, so there's a lot of people who, who are going through some really difficult, challenging times, regardless of COVID they have before COVID and of course people during COVID. But, um, you know, just to like, just to kind of touch on what you're talking about there with that fork in the road, um, I, I envied those people who were not, their, their happiness and success was not tied to productivity. Um, you know, I was keeping myself busy, as you know, we're doing, I was doing IG lives and webinars and things. And I was like, okay, well, I'm being, I'm, that's my way of being productive. And I, it was much later, much, much later that I realized um, there was a lot more going on, you know, in my mind where I was not comfortable because of, because of the situation. And it took me many months to get comfortable. And Fortunately, you know, I, I feel that like I worked my way through it, but I can see uh, what what a lot of people probably were going through. And I feel like uh, this conversation that you're having, uh, we're having here is so important. And I, I'd like to just take a quick second to encourage anybody who has been feeling uncomfortable or, or doesn't know how to vocalize the way that they've been feeling, you know, take a second to give your friend a text, a call, give one of us a shout, you know, we're on Instagram, yeah. easy to find us. Honestly, I'm not even, I'm saying it with a smile, but I'm not joking. You know, give us a shout, uh, get, reach out to someone, just say, what's up, you know, have a little conversation. It'll help you feel better. Um, so in your experience, what, what has helped 
people like ourselves, uh, optometrists, maybe business owners get through this? And what do you see that uh, optometrists and business owners maybe have needed to do, needed to kind of, kind of a pivot would we need to have made in the last little while to get through this and now to continue to succeed moving out of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I look at, you know, my own experience and let me set the stage and just say that I'm certainly no, uh, uh, not a perfect example of, of a person that has been able to kind of separate productivity from success, but I'm mindful of it. And I think that's the work. I think that's actually the job mm-hmm. is, is constantly kind of being reflective and mindful in the moment. Um, and as you said, you know, what are we as business owners, as, as employers, as, you know, optometric physicians, what are we doing to exemplify, you know, uh, uh, the right decisions, the day-by-day moments? Um, and so I think there's a, there's a few things, but I think it comes down to, it boils down to, to, to leadership. And if I could stress this, it's not to suggest that, you know, you need to be in a, a, a sort of typical leadership role. We are leaders in every aspect of our lives. You know, you're a father, I'm a father. I have a business as well. I, I, I do things in my community. I mean, I think we all have influence over somebody, um, whether we want to or not. So what are the key ingredients, if you will, of, 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 of being an effective leader at a time like this, where like we've talked about, there's so much change constantly being thrust at our feet. How do we hoist that uh, opportunity to, to be compassionate and vulnerable? And so there's, there's these sort of key things that I, I, I think are important for, for leadership. One is, you know, sort of stepping away from, uh, from being the know-it-all, from having all the answers to pivoting towards a sense of, of being more vulnerable and having questions yourself and showing your staff and your team and the people that look up to you perhaps, or the people that are around you, showing your team that the right leadership here and the right moves are asking the right questions as opposed to saying, yeah, I know the answer. So I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, You know, I have a team, I have a staff that I work with and I call them my team because I feel like we're all, you know, we're all in the same boat. Sorry, we're all in the same water, just in different boats. But, um, uh, you know, the the question as to whether or not they're going to get vaccinated comes up. And and look, I think we all have different feelings about this, about how to implement this to our staff. Uh, I'm certainly advocating strongly for each and every one of my team members to get it. But there have been a few that have been a bit hesitant. That could be because of fear, because of the unknown. So instead of admonishing them, you know, the, 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 the approach that I chose to take was let's just have what's, what are the questions you have? You know, you say you're scared. Please tell me what 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 are you what are you afraid of happening? And I encourage them to ask those questions. You know, I create this environment and I think it's important that we try to create that environment around us where asking a question is not a negative. In fact, it's a trait that I look for. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you come into a job interview and you don't have a question for me, unfortunately, I'm probably not going to hire you. And you could probably, you could have the best resume. You could have it knocking it out of the park. But if I don't have a question from you, if you know it all, then I got nothing to mm-hmm. teach you. Right. So I think that's, that's one of the things. Um, the other thing too, is, is just sort of about, again, exemplifying accountability you know, going back to what I said about being vulnerable and not having all the right answers, instead of shaming them, again, we'll talk about this vaccine, but instead of shaming them and blaming them for not getting the vaccine, um, you know, it it goes back to a place of empathy and accountability. So 
how can I, as, as your employer and my sort of management team, how can we, um, you know, understand that it's coming from a place of fear and not out of a place they don't want to get the vaccine because they want to make our lives hard. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that trickles down to even our patients. When our patients say, look, I'm not going to get this anti-reflective coating that you've recommended for me. And, and I'm not going to buy this bottle of drops that you wanted for me, you know, instead of shaming them and blaming them, maybe we need to do a better job at understanding what's our role in that. Right. Yeah. How did we, what, what, what part of our, uh, you know, uh, relaying that information, that diagnosis or that treatment plan, what role did we have to play? And let's be empathetic. Let's yeah. learn to be empathetic. Um, the other, uh, 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 last part I'd say it's, it's, it's sort of like just managing perception. The last thing mm -hmm. as a, as a leader you want to do is to, to fool anybody into thinking that you can sort of manage another person's perception of yourself or your office. Um, that's a fool's errand. It really is. And so it, it, it becomes important to recognize that being steadfast and being stoic means being vulnerable and you're not there necessarily to be liked. You're not there to be loved. You can try to have, you know, a laugh. And if they don't laugh at your jokes, like most of my staff don't, because <laughs> yeah. I got a bunch of dad jokes, yeah. you know, it's fine. I'm there to, I'm there to, to, to take a swing. And if I miss, I miss, but I'm there to be vulnerable. Uh, uh, but I'm not in charge of anybody's perception. And I don't let that shame set in, right. That shame yeah. that you might feel around uh, uh, staff not doing what it is that you want them to do or a patient not following your instructions. So those are kind of like the three things that I, I think that's important. Um, and that have been important for, for, for my office in the last, uh, well, in the last year, really. And in my office, my family and everything that I've done, I've, I found those to be really critical. Yeah. I think, uh, uh super valuable insights and applicable outside of work for sure. You know, in the community with your friends and family, uh, generally speaking, you know, trying to take that objective, uh, you know, I, I, I'm into stoicism. I, I, you know, anybody who follows me on Instagram sees my like daily stories I'm posting pictures of from a couple of books that I read. And just the other day, uh, it, from Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic is just the passage every day. Great book, by the way, um, was about the uh, observing eye and the perceiving eye, right? I think this was just yesterday, actually, coincidentally. And the observing eye is what you're saying is literally just seeing a situation for what it is. Somebody said they don't want to buy the eye drops. They just don't want to buy the eye drops. That doesn't say anything about you uh, personally, but that's the perceiving eye. That's the, our perception of that scenario. And I love that we, like, rather than taking that perception eye and turning it on the patient, maybe turn it on yourself, right? Understand what maybe you did in that scenario or what you'd want to do differently. Um, really important. And with everything during the last year, whether it was, um, you know, the uh, Black Lives Matters stuff, or whether it was COVID and all the misinformation around these different, um, these different uh, events in our lives in the past year, uh, it's been so easy for people to like turn that perceiving eye on others, like, well, look at you, you know, sharing this information, or look at you, um, anti-masker or anti-vaxxer or pro this or pro that. It's just, there's so been so much of it. It's crazy. And I think, um, like you're saying about like, um, when it comes to the, the untying success and, and pro, um, productivity, I think the work, that's where the work is. The work is in the perception of it, of this, the situation too. Um, so if you were going to uh, break that down and distill into like, what do you think are like 
two or three qualities that if we want to be a leader, you know, what would those be if you just break them down into just a few words? Yeah, I think the first one is, is, is being vulnerable um, and asking questions. So going from, you know, Brene Brown, I don't know if you listen to Brene yeah. Brown, but mm-hmm. she's great. And she talks a lot about this. There's actually a couple of podcasts where she dives into this, but I'd say being vulnerable as opposed to knowing it all mm-hmm. um, and uh, being empathetic as opposed to avoiding tough conversations and, uh, and avoiding, like you just commented on, the, you know, worrying about the, the perceiving eye uh, and just uh, uh, kind of being mindful of, of the environment that you're in uh, and be an observer. You know, I think I said this a second ago, but you have to recognize that we're all in the same water, but in different boats. You know, a lot of people say, oh, we're in the same boat. Well, we're not in the same boat. Mm. <laughs> My boat looks different than yours, but we're definitely in the same water. Waves are hitting our boats at different times. But, um, but we all need to open the sail. We all need to kind of take, let the wind carry us through the tough times. So being uh, uh, mindful of your own perceptions versus, sorry, about being mindful of controlling other people's perceptions. You can't yeah. do that. Right. And that's, that's, you're in the, that luxury yacht, right? That big long one. Is that the boat that you're in on the, I'm in Ontario, dude, we got, <laughs> we got Lake Ontario. I'm not getting very far there. No, <laughs> <laughs> I just drive around in circles. Um, any other thoughts? Like, you know, th- this is, it's amazing that we have um, within our own profession, within our own group of colleagues, you know, somebody like yourself who, who has these amazing insights because otherwise um I think we're sometimes afraid to go looking outside of our profession. I'd love for you to see if you're, if you're, if there's other things that you'd like to share other lessons that you think, uh, you know, we could take away from this, this year that we've just gone through. Uh, yeah. You know, I think, I mean, look, there's there, some of the stuff that you, you post and that you've shared in your podcast have really kind of resonated with me. And I think we, we probably align on, on a lot of these things. Um, I think what's relevant though for, for optometry, and I've talked a lot about this over the last year and even prior to that is, is kind of understanding our general, I call this optometry psychology, right? You know, like who we are as, as uh, or who the optometrist embodies from a personality standpoint, right? There's five main sort of personality traits. There's agreeableness, um, uh, neuroticism, um, you know, there's a, a few others, but there was actually a study done in 2003, and I think we might have talked about this as well, where, um, you know, the, the, the generalized personality of an optometrist was for the ISFJ personality, which is a very agreeable, a very likable uh, person almost doing for others in excess at your own, at your own demise in some cases, mm-hmm. we're the helpers in the room, right? And that's the ISFJ. And I think with the ISFJ comes uh, a lot of empathy, built-in empathy. Uh, but that empathy is sometimes um, uh, can create a bit of cognitive dissonance in terms of what we do. So for instance, charging for a service, uh, uh, having a high end, uh, you know, frame gallery, for instance, or, or charging, you know, for uh, in-office dry eye procedures, which are, you know, in thousands of dollars uh, or any specialty for that matter. I think there's a bit of dissonance with it when it comes to, to charging for a particular expensive or deemed expensive service. And, and our own ISFJ personality being, being able to make that recommendation guilt-free. And I think that guilt sometimes ends up resulting in us withholding, you know, the, the, the recommendation, for instance, because we don't want to come across as, oh, I'm ch- I don't want to charge this. I don't want to tell this patient 
you know, this is how much it costs. I, I, I feel badly about it. Right. I hear that mm-hmm. a lot. I feel badly about it. And I think that, that, you know, that's one of the things that I hear a lot amongst my colleagues. And the one thing I, I kind of answer to that is, you know, we have to make sure that we're not our own narrative, our own sort of frame of mind is not bleeding into the patient experience is not actually uh, confounding that experience. I would hate for my patient to not have the right treatment because somehow I felt guilty about recommending the right treatment. Mm-hmm. Forget about the reason why. Maybe it's cost. Maybe it's, you know, there could be a number of reasons. But if cost is the thing that's holding me back from recommending it and they don't get it and they get worse, all that patient's going to know is that they came to see Dr. Maharaj and I didn't make them better. They're not going to know your inner narrative. So I think that it's important for us to really reflect on our own narratives and what we bring to the table and to really leave it there and be, uh, um, you know, reflective and, and mindful of our own biases because it's very much there and, and, and it really spills into our practice, create so much so that it creates a lot of stress mm-hmm. because we're trying to do two things at once. We're trying to be, you know, likable and we're also trying to recommend or prescribe or have our patients, you know, consume a product that costs, you know, X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. There's this dissonance and that stress makes work stressful and the need to be liked can sometimes actually be uh, consuming all too consuming. Mm. Gotcha. And I, I definitely, I could go on for uh, all day about my experience of going through that process of, you know, struggling with the price versus offering the best service and that type of thing. But uh, I can tell you the short version of that story is I completely agree with you and uh, it's it, for me, it comes down to um, just wanting to offer the best options and, and services to the patient. And then, you know, the price and stuff conversation that will happen later if it has to. Yeah. So I can't have a conversation with the dry eye Jedi and not talk about dry eye. <laughs> um, you know, we've been investing in some new equipment in our offices and really starting to bolster our dry eye stuff. And I'm super excited. It's so exciting. You know, I love it. I love, I'm, I really look forward to offering these treatment options services to our patients and, and seeing the results that we get. You talked about one quick thing already, the AI for eyes, super exciting up and coming technology in the dry eye space. Any other things that you want to could share with us, uh, things that we can look forward to? Yeah, no, um, I, I, I will happily share a couple of quick things, but I'll say, by the way, congratulations. I know you just, uh, you guys just uh, invested in the in-mode uh, RF system, I believe it is. And so right. radio frequencies, everybody's talking radio frequency these days. It's an exciting, you know, uh, uh, technology that bridges aesthetics and, and optometry really, but in dry eye specifically. So it is an exciting area. Um, and so uh, I think it was, Yes. No, sorry. It was on Friday. Uh, we actually have a new handle that, so I've been working with InMode um, at uh, bringing a eye-specific handle uh, to the uh, InMode platform. So it's called the Forma Eye. Um, probably in the next couple of days, I'll, I'll post a picture of the actual handle itself. So it's actually a much smaller handpiece than the traditional Forma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got, it's bipolar. Uh, and so it'll fit really nicely in the periorbital region. Um, I'm excited. So kind of working on, on protocols, uh, as we speak. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the newest thing. We're the first in Canada to have it. So if I'm not mistaken, I believe that it is commercially available as of now. Um, so that's 
Very exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. I already put my, as soon as I heard, I think it was the day (laughs) I texted you that that first day, that Friday, as soon as I heard, I started texting anyone I could find an inmo would be like, put my name down. I'm getting, I'm getting one. (laughs) Hurry up. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. I'm excited for it. And you know, it's nice to have, the other thing is just nice to have options in the marketplace and, um, and it helps us learn. I think the more tools we have, the more we're going to learn what works and what doesn't work and uh, having, being able to have a hand in this as well is kind of uh, rewarding in and of itself. That's amazing. Um, the other thing that's, well, it's not really new, but it's, I guess, new for 2021. So we just opened up uh, sales for the 2021 Canadian Dry Summit. So we, we had you as part of our faculty last year and you attended and and that was a bit of a different experience because it was all virtual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this year, the Canadian Dry Summit will be, uh, well, it'll be a mixture of virtual and real. It really is contingent on um, state of affairs in Ontario when it comes. But in November 13th and 14th of this year will be our uh, our Canadian Dry Summit. Exciting. So um, we're really excited about that. We're building out the program as we speak. But ticket sales are open now. So if you go to www.dryisummit.ca, uh, you can register. And for those that want to attend the live meeting, should we end up having to uh, forego the live meeting for uh, provincial lockdown reasons or any other, your ticket will automatically be transferred to a virtual ticket. So we're, we're really trying to be mindful of making sure that no one kind of gets left behind, but that we still able to have a really robust meeting. And if, if our virtual meeting last year was any indication of what we can do virtually, mm-hmm. um, I think that, uh, that the experience is going to be even, even better. You guys crushed it last year that the, and thank you for having me, by the way, what a, dude, I was humbled. I can't even tell you, I was like presenting alongside like, um, uh, Dr. Art Epstein and like Dr. Laura Perriman. I'm like, what am I doing here? Exactly. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, but you, the way you guys presented, it was so cool. I loved it. Like, um, sort of a talk show type of setup where you you know you guys were um uh in in the studio and then kind of throwing it back to, to people and then you had a little like cut out of of trevor there and, and that was that was all awesome man. i love the way you guys presented it and you're right i mean if that's what you do virtually I, I can't wait to see see it in person and if it's in person this year i'll be there for sure yeah it was it was great man it was great having you there and you know you said that you didn't feel like you needed to, you, you were worthy of being in that position but that's one of the great things. And, you know, I think the Canadian brand of education is very unique. Uh, and we've actually gone that. So that was our third Canadian dry summit. This will be a fourth, but we've had, you know, our first year attendees become faculty last year. And I think that's really important. If there's anything that, you know, your audience can, can take from this is that the brain power that we have, the Canadian optometry brain power is phenomenal. And I love it. I see Manya Madan, who's doing a bunch of work with yeah. PRP. Um, Claire O'Halloran on, on the East Coast does fantastic work with, with sclerals. I mean, mm. we've got such talent in this country and I love seeing it. And I think just because we don't get, you know, the wide open stage that some of our U.S. counterparts have, um, don't sell yourself short. I mean, there's 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 a ton of good brain power here and love wonderful conversations. So it was yeah. a pleasure having you and, and uh, look forward to, to more of these types of conversations with uh, yeah. at this year's and, summit. So, and thanks for, for taking the time to create the platform for Canadian ODs to, to show that talent and knowledge as well. So that's awesome. Looking forward to that. Sorry. What were the dates again? November 13th and 14th uh, this year. Yeah. It'll be two full and days. Uh, early registrations open. If you do early bird registration, you 
get a phone call with Dr. Maharaj. What is it? One-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on one. I'll, I'll put uh, Diana. Diana Nguyen, who, by the way, was our clerkship student last year. She's now full-fledged. So she's uh, yeah, she's been knocking her. it out of the park on social media. So there's also our sort of our, our parent company, mydryeye.ca, which is a patient education, physician education portal. So um, yeah, check that out as well. Cool, man. Hey, Harbir, if I, I'm going to... I'm going to steal, steal the, the show a little bit here from you, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. I've had some questions, some burning questions that I've had for you. If you don't mind, I, uh, <laughs> we're going to we'll flip, the, flip the, the, the script here. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the mic and I'm going <laughs> to ask you some questions. What do you think? You okay with that? All right. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I do have a question because, and I know you've been, you've been doing this very silently, and I, I've often thought of you as a very uh, uh, conscious entrepreneur. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your Oxford and Kin eyewear. I mean, you, you, how did this happen and how does one even do this? You, so you have your own line of frames and, and you, you retail them in your optical and like, so how did that come to be? And just tell me a bit about it because it seems yeah. like a fantastic thing that you've done here and you've done it so quietly. Yeah. Thanks. You know what you, uh, I, I'm okay with us. You're really good at this already. Just the first thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm afraid you might be taking over the 2020 podcast here. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Never. Um, Yours, buddy. Yeah. Uh, the, the Oxford and Kin was a passion project of mine. I started a few years ago. Um, I did kind of give the, maybe you can say the longer version of the story on Instagram a little while back when uh, the company was acquired, but um, it, it, I've always had this, this itch or passion to try to do more outside of the four walls of the office. And um, I just had this, this, this epiphany, this, inspiration. Um, you know, I was, I was seeing companies like Warby Parker and, and the like, um, you know, I'm like, but why aren't there people within our own industry taking advantage of these potential opportunities or trying to at least put themselves out there in these positions? Why is it people from outside of uh, eye care coming in and, and taking these, um, these opportunities? So I dug into it. I researched, I Skyped and cold called people in all sorts of different countries. And, um, went through this long process. And I often joke that like, uh, if I'd known how much work it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. So there's this like, um, certain amount of naivete that you kind of need when you're starting something like that, I think is actually a good thing to have. Um, but yeah, I went through the process. I, I didn't know how to draw or do any kind of design. I worked with the manufacturers. They, we did back and forth on designs. They sent me prototypes and samples and ultimately landed on a small, kind of boutique collection, you know, just a few pieces. And uh, the, the goal was for it to be primarily e-commerce. So yes, we had some in the optical. Yes, I distributed to a few stores here and there, but I didn't want to have to hire manpower to, to, to oversee all of that. So it was primarily e-com. And, and really the, the, the backbone of that was the, the, um, the, the giving back portion of it, right? The, um, oh my God, I'm losing the word right now, but it was sort of this one for one, like Tom's shoes kind of model. And I partnered, I, before I'd started all up, I'd called optometry giving sight. Uh, you're probably aware of optometry giving sight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty big organization does a lot of fundraising for, uh, eye care, uh, around the world, whether it's building schools or providing, you know, on the ground services, that kind of stuff. So I'd called them and chatted with them about partnering. And basically we set it up. So every pair of glasses we sold through Oxford and kin, was going to be the equivalent in a form of a donation, uh, the equivalent of a full eye exam and a pair of glasses for someone in the developing part of the world. That was really the core of it um, was to be able to reach more people to help more people than I could possibly help by working, you know, nine to five in my office. 
Um, and that, that kind of came from some of the volunteer work I'd done with uh, like one site and stuff like that overseas. So that was sort of the, the I, I guess you can say the shorter version of it. And then uh, eventually after plugging away for a few years, um, a company named, named Lensbox um, has been kind of building up some steam and momentum and they wanted to have um, some boutique collections of eyewear uh, as part of their platform. And they approached me to acquire the company. So that just went through a few months ago. Fantastic. That's amazing. That's, that's phenomenal. I mean, I love, I love the, the, the genesis of that idea. Just sort of the, you know, it sounds like it wasn't, uh, you weren't setting out to take over the world. It was like a, this passion project and, yeah. you know, and look, and look at where, where it got you. That's amazing. And that's also, you know, nice that it kind of ties back into optometry, but it's also part of that, you know, greater good, right. I've, I often talk a lot about, you know, things that are positive, some, and things that are, uh, zero sum and that positive mm-hmm. sum game you know when everybody wins there's 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 such a, a good feeling in that you know mm-hmm. like it, it's very rewarding but moreover it's it's not the the personal reward it's the the, the reward to many that's fantastic good for yeah. you man thank you thank you very much that's if exciting. anybody wants to learn more you can go to oxfordandkin.com or uh yeah or message me on instagram <laughs> that's always the answer to everything just dm me on instagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, I just flipped the script on him. Everybody, he didn't, he didn't know that. I just, uh, yeah, I get that answer, and I figured, hey, look, we're talking now. We're both busy guys, and this yeah. is the time to talk about the things that we have. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's funny. It's weird. It's been actually a really big part of my life, but it's been behind the scenes for the most part. Um, I can't tell you, aside from like learning, you know, I can't tell you how much I learned, and it's, it's like, I can't even. Um, I couldn't even try to, to, to figure, put a quantify what I learned from as far as connecting with people, networking, learning e-commerce, learning, you know, digital marketing, all this kind of stuff. I had to sort of learn it all by myself because uh, I didn't really have the money to hire people for it. So pretty crazy experience. Yeah, it sounds like a great learning experience. And, you know, hopefully for, for some of the younger listeners that are out there, like there's a ton of, I know there's a lot of entrepreneur people that want to become entrepreneurs, especially mm-hmm. those that are kind of fresh out of school. I mean, all they hear about is the hustle and grind. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you hear a little bit about the realism <laughs> in building yeah. something in your bootstraps. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's exciting stuff. Um, I, ha- if you're okay, you know, <laughs> I know every time you do this show, you got two questions and I've been dying uh, to ask you that's these awesome. two questions. Uh, <laughs> I, what, what do you think? You think I can, I can, I, uh, I, Sure. You, let's do it. You know, you know, you've already answered them. So I suppose that's fair. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I've thought about someone asking me and I, I thought about, but it's actually makes me a bit nervous to have to think to answer them now. <laughs> um, okay, look, yeah, you, if I, I bring, I, I bring the pain. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep it real. You know, I'd like to dive into people's minds a lot. So yeah, that's uh, that's my, uh, my little magical power there. All right. All right. So Harbier, I got to ask you, let's do it. All right. Question number one. Was there ever a time in your life, if you had a time machine, that you would go back to and change one thing or a piece of advice that you give a former version of yourself, yeah. whether it was a stressful time or something like that? What would it be? And tell us about the advice. You think by now, after asking this question like 50 times or whatever it is, I would have an answer already in my mind. Um, but I, I really, I, I don't. Um, yikes. Uh, it would be, it would be, um, 
I can't, I don't know if I could think of a very specific moment, but I think it would be, don't worry about pleasing other people. Um, or like, don't make that, like, don't put so much emphasis on that. I think I did that for a lot of my life. And, uh, it makes you do weird things, you know, not like create necessarily crazy things, but like, yeah, you just act weird when you're like constantly trying to please, please people, whether it's pleasing your friends or trying to please a girl, like trying to, you know, get a girl interested in you or whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, business related, trying to impress other people. Try not, try not to focus so much impressing other people. Um, I would say just focus on making yourself the best version of you that you can be in, whether that's spending a little time on education or spending more time on personal development um, and not worrying about what other people think so much. I think that'd be it. That's beautiful, man. I, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I, like I, I like to say, um, you know, pivot, pivot towards valuing the mind over the muscle and mm. uh, peace over hustle. Those are the two mm. things that I use. I like that. And it rhymes. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, but when we're younger, I think I had a similar answer last year. It was like, you know, learning to say no, learning to be quiet, you know, and that was a, that was a key thing. Great answer. I like that. Thanks, man. All right. Next question, buddy. I think you know what it's going to be, but let me just say, <laughs> yeah, I think I have an idea for the sake of the audience. <laughs> so you've accomplished so much. You've got this fantastic podcast, the 2020 podcast. You've got, you know, your Oxford and Kinline, you've got your practice, your profession, your family, all these great successes. How much of it, Harbir, how much of it is due to luck and how much of it is due to hard work? <laughs> it's so funny to have these questions asked to me, actually, dude. I, I, uh, huh. Um, you know, this one I've thought about just over the years, um, randomly, but there's, um, I'm going to try to go like, this is a little existential, right? But I, I was listening. This is, I'm taking this from a different conversation somebody was having on in relation to, to time, understanding time, um, you know, vers- like there's no past and present, whatever there's like just the now or whatever, you know, or, or sorry, now doesn't exist. There was a moment that just passed and the moment that's coming. Anyways, he, he was saying, if you were to stand at the edge, if you're on a beach and you stand at the edge of the water, your feet are in the water, but you're on the beach, right? So you're like neither in the water, neither on the beach or, or it's both. And I feel like that's kind of how I think about the, the luck and hard work thing. It's, it's got to be both, right? When you're standing there on the beach, you're both on the, on the ground and in the water. And it's, it's both hard work and luck. Um, but quantifying how much water there is versus how much sand there is, that's, that's hard to do. So then I feel bad that I asked this question and forced people to make this like binary decision. But, um, um, you know, you said something last year, cause I just re-listened to our episode and you said something interesting about like, um, okay. The, the, my answer to this, I'm like circling around here. My answer to this is, I think actually it's a lot of luck Um, and it's not luck in like dumb luck. And I hate the word luck because I've been told I'm lucky a lot of times. In fact, my, my roommate in Boston in in under, in um, optometry school, he goes, Harbir, man, you just fall ass backwards into luck. I was like, I mean, I don't know. I studied for that test. I don't know what you're talking about, but um, so I, so it's always had this like negative connotation to me, but by luck, I mean, fate or, 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 uh, you know, I use the word grace that Tony Robbins uses, like it's, it's the, the universe bringing things to you. And like, I mean, I couldn't control who my parents are, where I was born, that they decided to move to Canada when I was young, um, that I have this large family here that's a support system. Like, I'm very fortunate to have that. It's mm-hmm. extremely, extremely important to me. 
Um, you know, so that's luck. And for me, that's probably like 50% of it. You know, like if I didn't have that support system, I wouldn't be able to work as hard. I know a lot of my colleagues and a lot of people I have on the show will say 99% hard work. And I get it because dude, the eyewear brand and two companies and two, two optometry clinics and two kids and all this stuff at the same time, it, it, it's hard work, but I wouldn't be able to do it without all the family support and everything I have. So I'm going to say 50-50 is my short answer to your question. That's a good answer. That's a really good answer. I think I gave it 80-20 last year. You did. I, you had the predisposition. Yeah. I like your answer. And I think that you, you, you definitely bring up, I think, one of the most important things, which is you know, not to forget the context of the world before us, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and what were we graced with? You said the word grace. What were we graced with? To, to be fortunate to be born, I was born in Toronto, you know, and, and to be in this country, just that alone puts yep. us in a stratosphere of, of wealth that other countries can't even dream to have. I mean, if you're earning 60K in Canada, you're earning more than, I think it's 80% of the global population. I mean, just that alone puts us in a different position. So I, I, mm -hmm. I respect that. And it doesn't discount, you know, the, the work that we put into it um, and the effort again, what part of that was choice and what part of that was just, you know, ingrained in us and our families mm -hmm. and our, and our own cultures. And so mm -hmm. I can see how the sand and the water are very much, you know, all there at the same time. So that's mm -hmm. a, that's a great answer. And thank you for letting thank me, you. uh, let me uh, take the mic here for a moment. It, it yeah, they, oh, I, yeah, no problem, man. That was an interesting experiment, actually. Uh, and like, I just feel like I just spilled my brains out here in front of the camera. Uh, clearly not prepared for that. I should be by now after all these uh, all these episodes. But yeah, thanks for the suggestion. I appreciate it, man. No, um, great. I'll hand the, I'll hand the mic back to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'll take that back now. Um, <laughs> I think I'm still recovering from from like reeling there. Uh, any last words that now I'm, I'm the host again, Dr. Maharaj, any last words that you'd like to share um, about, you know, the last year, how it's been for you? Yeah, I think, you know, personally, I guess I haven't really been very personal, but personally, it's been a challenging year. It's, it's, it's had its ups, it's had its downs on a, on the family front. You know, uh, I'm fortunate to have my, my great family and they've all been healthy. We've, we've lost a, a family member on my wife's side and that was challenging. And, um, but I think what, what stood, you know, what stood out the most is, is, uh, our ability to navigate through tough times. I think we forget ourselves, you know, as tough as this year has been. And I think I said this last year on the podcast too, you know, I still have my practice and my dry patients have needed me now more than ever. Looking back in this last year, it's been crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and despite three months of income loss and then a trickle back over the course of the year, we've actually ended off the year doing okay. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think if this year taught the human race, anything is, is the story of resilience and how resilient we in fact are. And we forget it, you know, and we hear the government shutting us down again now in Ontario and schools being shut down. It, it immediately takes us to a place, but let's not forget our resilience. Let's not forget ourselves and let's just keep forging ahead. And this is, not to say to create more busy work for yourselves, but to actually create more time for you. And I think that for me has been the most important thing that I've done this year is actually to take back some of my time. Mm. And I took it back. I'm not giving it away again. <laughs> um, so I would encourage everybody to do the same. For sure. Sure. Thank you. Thank you again for being um, 
this, uh, you know, a leader in this regard uh, in many ways um, and for sharing these insights, because I know that they're going to be really valuable for a lot of people. They have been for me as well. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, uh, on uh, Instagram, uh, dry.i.jedi and um, www.ilabs.ca or follow uh, my dry eye on Instagram as well. That's another way to find me. So there's a few different avenues. Or as I always say, you can just call me up on my cell phone. (laughs) Just call me. Yeah, (laughs) perfect. Uh, All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Maharaj. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in, whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the time. Don't forget, take a screenshot, post it up on Instagram. Tell us what you took away. I know Dr. Uh, Maharaj dropped some pretty uh, solid knowledge today that uh, you guys will all find valuable. Give me a shout. Let me know what you thought. Thank you again. We'll see you again soon.